0: say a picture is worth a thousand words, then how are we tied down to just one? I'm not a label and neither are you. Welcome to a space of creative freedom where you and I get to be exactly who we are. Join me as we uncover the layers and discover ourselves on a deeper level. Thank you so much for showing up. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome to another Label with the podcast. I'm your host, Avi Ajwani, and I'm so excited and grateful to have Nethra with us here today. She's all the way in California, if I'm not wrong. And we met online. I'm really, you know, intrigued by everything she's doing. We had a tiny phone conversation and that tiny phone conversation led to an hour of, you know, just asking each other powerful questions and getting to know how we're both serving the world serving people with our own unique gifts so i'm so excited to have her here and i can't wait for her to share a little bit about herself so please go ahead
1: hi avi thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast it's um really a delight and i i already feel like a beautiful back and forth and connection between us and so I'm very excited to, um, yeah, jump in to talking about empathy and judgments and, yeah, sort of sharing our souls <laughs> with each other and the world. So um, I'm happy to go with, you know, whatever you want to, to ask and um, we'll figure out where we go together.
0: That's amazing. I love that. Um, so... Something that you know, something that is very characteristic about this this podcast is, as much as everyone that jumps on wears many different hats and has many different labels, for me it's also about peeling all of them off, and it's something we spoke about and understanding who we are at the core, right? So, who is Nethra? What does she do every day? Who does she hang around with? What does her family look like? If you're okay to share that, I'd love for you to share a bit of you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So very briefly about me, um, I grew up in Sri Lanka, in Colombo, and uh, migrated to the US to come to college. And, um, but on a, on a more personal note in terms of, maybe I'll share, start by sharing what drew me to this work that I do, um, which I think is my life's purpose. And so um, as a young woman growing up um, in Sri Lanka, I had um, these two experiences that I think probably profoundly shaped the way I see the world, I function in the world. Um, I had a very, very close relationship with my mother. um, And she was someone I felt was, you know, there wasn't this parental hierarchy between us. And she was very vulnerable with me and, and that helped me be vulnerable with her. And so when I was in her company, I really had this experience of not having to work very hard to be seen and understood because I felt I didn't have to be perfect. That there was, there was love without, you know, having some bar to jump to. And um, with my father, he was very different. He's an artist, architect. Um, So I had a a sense of what it was like to be in a very creative environment. Um, Our relationship was very different. He showed his love by doing things and words were a little bit trickier between us. Um, And so that was a kind of nest that I was born into. But I think for me, when I left that nest and went out into the world, the social world, it was a bit of a shock for me (laughs) because I encountered lots of, you know, in school, um, mostly in school, um, a much more rigid structure of how we were supposed to be. So I remember sitting in an assembly hall at, like, age 12 or something and thinking if I don't go to university in the US or go to Harvard nobody will love me right (laughs) I'm not going to be good enough unless I unless I get to that place Um, and so it always seemed that there were things external to myself that I had to live up to to belong does that make sense
0: Mm -hmm. I get what you mean
1: yeah yeah, and so um, so I had this contrasting experience on one hand, a sense of being seen and understood, and on the other hand, this feeling that there was always some bar that was further and further away from me that I had to reach to um, be accepted. And it was... Um, when I encountered nonviolent communication, which is the practice that grounds everything I do, I think I, I encountered outside of my relationship with my mother for the first time the sense that I could be seen and heard without having to perform. Um, and that is a threat that I've been really following for myself and then trying to support over the people I work at. I'm curious what that brings up for you. Um, I
0: I just have to ask more about what nonviolent communication is and what brought you to even want to know more about it. You know, was there a personal story attached to it or, you know, <laughs> what's what sparked that interest?
1: Yes, it's a great story. So I was um, a, f- a pretty shy 15 year old girl in Sri Lanka and um I ended up spending a lot of time with this um, Buddhist monk who was from Britain. Um, he had moved to Sri Lanka, he had he was in robes and um, he became a mentor for me. And he gave me three cassette tapes <laughs> at that time um, of Marshall Rosenberg, who was the person who um, created nonviolent communication. He was a clinical psychologist who then left that field. Um, to really, you know, pursue the question of how can we, you know, how can we connect with people in ways that do not do harm, you know, how can we move from forms of communication that are so damaging to understand um, the needs of the heart of um, all the things we say and do. And when I when I heard um, Marshall describing his vision um, and demonstrating NVC, I had a very physical experience of um, just feeling incredibly um, safe. Hearing about his vision of empathy, and that was what drew me in.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. And something that you, something that we even did together, I remember on our first call was yes. a needs exercise, you know, understanding the human needs. Right. And I, I was amazed by that exercise. You know, I remember even after that call being in just like, whoa, what just, you know, what just happened here?
1: Uh-huh. So, <laughs> I,
0: want pe- I want people to know what it is that you're helping people with, right? Because mm-hmm. one of them is understanding their intrinsic needs and mm-hmm. how to fill them up, if if for me to even say that in that way.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um so my I can describe my first encounter with um so this was, you know, I heard Marshall talk about this in the cassette tapes. Many, many years later, I was um, an undergraduate student in the US. Um, I think I was in my sophomore year, and I took a workshop with him. Um, And I I didn't interact with him. There were so many people there at that point. But I do remember um, there were these activities where we would sit with someone and just share whatever was happening in our lives. And then I had the first experience of being heard in this particular way and that was the thing I think that um, made me really want to experience more of it because I felt that when I you know very often when we speak people have reactions right and they um they say, oh my gosh, I have a story like that. Uh, I think this is what you should do. Right. Uh, um, well, that's a problem that you think of it that way, right? So there's interruptions, advice, um, stories that they tell about you know similar experiences they've had. None of this is wrong, um, but it doesn't get to the depth of um listening that this particular way of listening can get to and so I would speak and the person would say you know this is what I'm hearing did I get it and just knowing that someone else is at the other end listening and could tell me what they got from it gave me this profound feeling of safety (laughs) And um, connection with the person too. It's like, oh my God, here's a person who understands. You know? so, so that was the magical moment for me.
0: <laughs> so it's listening to truly be there for someone instead of listening to one answer or speak. Yes, yes right. exactly. You know, there, there's such immense power in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know that there was such immense power in that until I stepped into one of the labels uh which is coach mm-hmm. and and it's a i don't know if it's a neurological spiritual mental physical emotional experience that people go through but it truly is a hug
1: mm-hmm. i
0: feel it too you know when mm-hmm. i am supported because coaches mm-hmm. need coaches to we absolutely need <laughs> we need support too and we also need to be heard seen valued absolutely. And, and respected um, absolutely. but it's beautiful so talk to us a little bit about all of the different needs that are out there and and I don't know how have you met or how do you help others meet mm-hmm. their needs
1: yes yeah, so, and um needs are some of the things that I love talking about the most but and we were kind of uh beginning to unpack this in our in our call earlier um, so one of the things that i have found um, both in myself in my own journey but also when i work with my clients and uh, students who uh, take our classes workshops i teach is that the, the, this notion of needs is a very complicated one for many of us i think um, for some of us, it's hard to even recognize that we have needs. You know, especially if the, the encounter that we're in is difficult, if it's a, in a relationship in which there's a lot of conflict. Um, you know, a large subset of people will prioritize the other person, for instance, and diminish themselves in order to keep the connection alive. And so with... Um, people I work with who really struggle with that, then the work is really to return the focus to themselves and think, what are you wanting and needing for yourself in this context? And that work takes a long time sometimes. Um, and as I was saying earlier, in just like I had this experience of thinking what bar do i need to you know meet to belong um many people think you know what job do i need to have who do i need to marry what kind of relationship do i need to have what kind of car do i have to have for people to take notice <laughs> right and then um and none of this is bad or wrong it's just you know things that we do in the name of belonging And the thing that can be really challenging is that you end up living a life that somebody else's dream without actually knowing what is it that makes you feel alive. And so what I do, I think, is I help people become unalienated from their needs and ask themselves, if I put the script aside, who would I want to be? What is a life that will make me deeply happy? And, and that's an ongoing question and a process, I think.
0: It's so interesting when we ask ourselves these questions and we've never done it before. It feels like, wait, what? I have a say. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have needs too. Right. I, I should want something for my
1: life. that
0: is not designed for me wait what
1: yes (laughs) (laughs)
0: um for me you know a couple of months ago I started working with a coach and she told me about this technique that she does in the morning which is um, asking herself what do I need today
1: Mm, beautiful
0: and I remember working on it the first time you know uh, and I couldn't come up with an answer I was like, wait, what do what do I need? I need for someone else to be smiling. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no.
1: My <laughs> need is
0: based on someone else. Okay, back to me.
1: Yeah. I need
0: for my family to be okay and happy and mm-hmm. settled. Okay, wait, wait, wait. But that's still on them and not me.
1: Yeah. What do
0: I need today? Yes. I matter. So okay.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. Um, What was that like for you to, to do? And to, um, did you find out what you needed that day?
0: Yeah. And and now I know what I need every day because I'm listening. I'm truly listening. And I think that's something as well. That's an intrinsic need that you mentioned earlier as well, right? The need to be heard, but also heard by your own self.
1: Yes. Yes. I love that. I mean, it's, um, and that's, I think, the damage that gets done from childhood, that we lose our capacity, or ability sometimes to listen to ourselves and know what our needs are. Now, I have friends with three or four-month-olds. They have a need that goes unmet. You know. <laughs> they let you know very quickly if they're unhappy. And when they want love, they reach out. They put their arms out, you know. And what happened to us that something happens that we can't access that as easily as adults? Mm.
0: And what would you say that is?
1: I think it depends on the person, their history, their background, their life experiences. And I think for some people, there's a consistent experience of maybe asking for our needs to be met and receiving a no. And for other people, um, you know, it could be shame, right? It could be an identity-based thing. Um, It could be like just a feeling that if I really, really, asked myself what do I want and if I follow that I might lose respect from my parents I might lose um, respect in my community I might not belong you know I might lose financial security right for a lot of artists for instance is a big struggle Um, I might lose my job you know if I really stood up and spoke about what I'm thinking. So, so at some point, and we were getting to this earlier, at some point we develop a, I think, a complicated, um, even forbidden relationship with our needs, with some of our needs that we think it's not okay for us to have the need or, or express the need um, or, or go meet the need, right? That that will come at some kind of loss.
0: How oh, interesting! I think a word that
1: isn't
0: it? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I feel like a word that's coming to me is judgment. But most importantly, what we do to ourselves, right? By not allowing ourselves to ask, by not allowing ourselves to receive, by not allowing ourselves to expand ourselves and and just like we you were, like you mentioned you know as kids I need a hug so you get it I need a toy so you get it you know not always but <laughs> <laughs> but you know I need something or I want something or it was so much there was so much more freedom in the thought process there wasn't a block as the same between and sometimes I feel like that block is the self-judge sitting inside mm-hmm. that voice inside of us saying well who are you to deserve this right you know or who are you to ask again and get rejected one more time you know yes. or, or why should you even go through this painful process Yes. so why should people go through this painful process of of expanding
1: themselves in your opinion mm, that's such a beautiful question Ali <laughs> um I love a couple of things you said and I just wanted to, to capture it. And one thing is this, this fear of judgment, right? And I think that's a big thing in why we don't um, try to get our needs met. Um, and another thing is that inner critic because at some point someone told us, no, you don't get to have that or shame on you for wanting that. That's not okay to have. And as a way of protecting ourselves from the pain of hearing that, sometimes we think, well, I don't need that. I shouldn't need that. Or I can live without that need being met. And... um, you know, I, I can give you an example from my teenage years. Uh, I was in Sri Lanka and, um, you know, we were in gender segregated schools. And, um, you know, dating was not a thing that was allowed at that time. Um, and so I just told myself, like, I'm just going to be a spiritual person. I don't need boys in my life. Right? So <laughs> young straight woman. but I was like, no, I'm just going to like lock that away and just say, I can do without it. Um, So it's that kind of thing, you know, that um, as a way of, you know, protecting ourselves from consequences, from shame, we deny ourselves of our needs. Um, And so I love, and I I love your question about why would you want to put yourself (laughs) you know, through that pain of then opening that box (laughs) that you've closed? Um, And my answer is the joy of having that need met and the wonder of changing that story that you told yourself that you can't have the things you most want in life, you know, whether it is an artistic practice, whether it's a career that's, you know, really where you feel like you are most yourself, whether it's a partnership, whether it's a friendship, you know, whatever it is, that's it's risky and it's very scary.
0: <laughs> it's also very necessary, don't you feel?
1: For me it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for me, um over time it um it is, and there's a period, I think, um, and I think of it as a process, you know? And, and the other beautiful thing that I've noticed is that each of us experiences our needs met in very different ways. You know, so for instance, when I work with couples, both might have a need for connection, but they experience connection in different ways. One person might experience connection by being heard, the other person might experience connection by doing things together, and so the arguments go on about you know, oh, you're not hearing me, or like you're not, you know, very active, when um, we'd never do anything fun together, and those are the judgments, right, that people throw at each other, and underneath that is this yearning to, to feel a sense of togetherness.
0: So, in a, in a world of nonviolent communication, how is that met for each other in that scenario?
1: So, in that scenario, one of the things that I find so powerful that Marshall Rosenberg shared was this phrase um, that I keep returning to, which is that judgments are a tragic expression of human needs. <laughs> When I first heard that, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. (laughs) And one of the things he said is that there's very often very little information about the person being judged in the judgment and a lot more information about the needs of the person who's doing the judging. You know, so in that, so let's take a couple where uh, one person... Is like you know, you never listen to me, and the other person's like, well, you never want to do anything fun, right? You're boring, you're no fun to be around, and another the person's like, Well, you're you know, you're not a good listener,
0: Ooh, don't want to be accused of any of that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Um and so there's so much pain, right? So much um, pain that happens when these conversations get heated up. And so if we if we roll that back and think, okay, for the person who's saying you're a bad listener to their partner, what do they want? You know, they want to be heard, right? And so, but it's vulnerable to say, "I want to be heard." Mm-hmm. And if you've had consistent experiences of not being heard chances are that that's not easy to ask for the easier thing to do is to tell the person well you're a bad listener
0: (laughs) i can see that popping up in in scenarios and people and relationships and and uh even hearing the whole, like, I'm a bad listener. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I, do you feel like our human needs or sometimes even projections of our life experiences of, you know, we, we see them through into all of our other relationships based on what's happened to us before in our childhood growing up?
1: Yeah, I love that you brought that up. And in my experience, and I mean, and this is a daily practice for me, you know, to change the stories that I've told myself about myself and the world, (laughs) like sometimes an hourly practice. Um, But one of the beautiful things that I've seen is that, and this is where the positive thing is, Like this is where I think I feel very hopeful. I do think that um, how we interpret the things that happen to us, very often come from what we've experienced before and um, this is something that my training as an anthropologist has really helped me um, and there's something that uh, we teach an intro to anthro that I I really love and this is something that you know you normally speak of at a societal level but I think it applies at different scales um, which is this notion of what we see depends on where we're looking from. And um, this notion that um, we call in anthropology situated perspectives, that everybody doesn't see the world the same way. There's infinite amounts of differences that shape the lenses of the, the like our viewfinders, right? Um, and so, if you think the the metaphor that I I sort of encountered in anthropology that I think really makes a lot of sense to me is if you imagine um, a world map. Right? When many of us think of a world map, we see you know, like um, Russia is on top, right? And we, we have this like, you know, Asia is on this side and the US is on that side, right? And like, it's a very ordinary thing. You see a world map, you don't think about it. You pass it, you know, on a wall. And then suddenly one day you see the map turned upside down. We're I mean, like, wait, Australia's on top. What's the deal with that, <laughs> right? And suddenly it's like the world turned upside down. <laughs> And so one of the things that um, that really surprised me was like, oh my gosh, understanding how someone else sees the world requires us to look at the map in a way that to us seems upside down, but to them seems right side up, right? Wow. And that's this notion that, you know, in, a con- in any conversation, the reality two people are experiencing are very often not the same. Because each of them are interpreting that reality based on what they've experienced with, or their fears, um, but also their capacities. Um, and so this is where I think the process of attunement is really important and a constant checking in of, this is what I'm seeing and experiencing and hearing today. Like, what are you seeing and hearing and experiencing? <laughs> so I'm very curious what's coming up you.
0: When you spoke about the map, I feel like my world just moved around completely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the way that even a map is placed sometimes can make us feel like, I don't know politically some people are superior to us Mm -hmm. and there's like more power on the top of the map and less power at the bottom of the map not saying that that's the case um but perspective is power and everyone has a right to their own perspective and that's uh fascinating you know on a spiritual level I understand that we're all one but on a coaching you know level where we've we both worked with people i remember my first month when i took on some free clients and i was like "Mm, what is this coaching thing all about you know Mm -hmm. um working with people and every single call i'd finish i'd be like every human being is a world within itself
1: Mm, so beautiful (laughs) because
0: there's all the ingredients that construct them and their fears and their doubts and what takes them and what makes them happy and what doesn't. And it's so yeah. unique to them. Right. So, yes, I can relate, but I can't at the same time. Mm. So, let me hear you out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I think, I mean, what I'm getting from what you're saying is also that there's ongoing curiosity, right? rather than like staying in assumptions, right? Uh, Of listening, of being curious, of being present, of of being in the not knowing, I think, and wanting to find out. Um, I find that a very beautiful thing to experience in any connection, (laughs)
0: that's so true it's in any connection you know not just because we're coaches i mean Mm -hmm. even with your friends and your family whoever you are if you if you're not going in with a filter you know if you're not going in with ah this conversation is just going to be the same old Mm -hmm. blah 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 whatever Mm -hmm. or this this person is going to do this to me or Mm -hmm. this person is always high energy so i'm gonna go meet them because i want this high energy like Mm -hmm. If we go without that filter, Mm -hmm. we see people for who they are and how they want to be seen today. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about how they want to be seen. Um, Because I think that, you know, is another um, level of attunement. Um, And I think of this in terms of listening. And when there's a conversation, who is the listening for? is a question i like to ask because if the listening is for the person who's speaking, then we want to hear them in a way they want to be heard, (laughs) right? And see them in a way that, like, try and understand how they experience being seen. And, And then when it's your turn to speak, it could look and sound very different because then you're focusing on what gives you the experience of being heard. And, and that's where I think um, there's infinite possibilities out there where we actually account for our differences. And, and that's when you break the script, I think.
0: <laughs> it's, it's powerful what you're saying. And something I, sa- I think you said earlier was sharing our needs and asking for our needs even is a vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability is attached for some reason to weakness.
1: Right. Yes.
0: It is attached to I don't feel safe right now. I know because I've been there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Know-
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes I still associate it to weakness. And when I see it as a weakness, I'm very conscious about okay, this is what I need to work on in order to mm-hmm. evolve this is what I need to work on in order to cleanse and open myself up to everything that I'm not seeing.
1: Right.
0: So I want, I want to understand that from your perspective, how are you helping or how are you transforming even your vulnerability into a position of strength and power?
1: I love the question. And I think again, daily practice, you know, and it takes time. It's not easy. And so I'll think of a con- concrete example. And for me, being heard, you know, is something that is actually really hard. It's something I love to do, but it's very hard to ask for. Um, especially from people with whom I don't have an experience of being hurt consistently. And when there's a power dynamic. Um, and so some of the um, things that I've really had to do is to really understand like, why is it that this feels so fraught for me? And it's really holding that vulnerability with a lot of care. Holding that sense of not being heard and the pain of not being heard with tenderness and having a conversation with yourself like hey that was really rough when you spoke and got interrupted four times <laughs> and told that the thing that you were thinking about like is stupid or whatever is to acknowledge the hurt so that has been the first step and the second step, I think, has been to actively seek out spaces and people with whom I have that experience of being heard. Because we carry these things in our nervous systems. I think I, and very often the feelings we have are not conscious. And I know I wish I could think away a feeling, but I can't. <laughs> I have not developed the capacity to be like, Oh, there's something here now, like let's change the feeling. It doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but it, it, it has been about really, somebody beautifully put it recently in a talk I was listening to. It's like a flower turning its face up to the sun. Right? So you take your needs and, and move it towards the sunshine. <laughs> And then have a felt experience of what it is like to be really hurt and I think that is the beginning uh it feels good you know it feels amazing then um, and you know we tend to gravitate towards people and if you're magnetically drawn to someone not necessarily in a romantic way right there's like something that you feel in their presence That I think meets a need that you have. And it feels good. (laughs) And I think it's a really tender process of removing the forbidden feeling. That not not feeling, but removing the forbidden label from that need. Because I think, you know, we have these stories like someone like me doesn't get to have a career like that someone like me doesn't get to have love like that right and and it's that sense of like i can't have it and the more and more you give yourself those experiences the less powerful that voice becomes i think does that resonate
0: so your needs are very attached to your sense of worthiness even
1: I think so.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. So, yes, to having a support system, and yes, to mm-hmm. having friends that meet your needs, or or people, or family, or mm-hmm. you know, creating a com- open communication where you're asking for your needs to be met.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. However, I want to yes. ask you a question. <laughs> How can you yourself start? meeting your own needs
1: mm.
0: when you're in a conversation yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you mine
1: right
0: i have an intrinsic need to be heard
1: uh-huh. it's something
0: that i'm working on
1: uh-huh.
0: you know uh seeking for support uh-huh. seeking for support from a coach and
1: uh-huh. you know
0: using uh that channel to explore myself a little bit more uh, uh-huh. i don't know if using was the right word but uh-huh. you know also I- allowing for that person to be there for me Mm -hmm. just the same way I am listening Mm -hmm. out to other people in a loving caring Mm -hmm. authentic space Mm -hmm. but that is me reaching out to people externally when I have when I'm in conversations with people and I feel like there's a lot of communication going on and I feel like I want to speak as well Uh there's a voice in me that says it's okay you can hear out and learn yeah. It's beautiful to learn but there's right. the, also the other voice in me that says but I really want to speak
1: yes And
0: I really need to be heard
1: yes
0: and I work with that
1: uh-huh
0: I work with that but how do you suggest people to work with themselves when their own needs kick in
1: right right so I, I, can I just make sure I'm getting it um so there's like on one hand the spaciousness that I'm hearing from you right that like I can sit in a group of people and be in a space of learning and I can wait and I can absorb and I can watch and observe um and to me it sounds like in some ways it meets a need for listening in a particular way where you're doing the listening Uh but there's a different kind of way need for listening when we want to speak and be heard right and it's also need to express to share to um to contribute to be seen to be heard Um, so is it that both of those things are kind of active at the same time in you Mm.
0: now now i feel like it's more a need to express than a need to be heard right how interesting to understand that
1: Yeah, I know. And I think that, and that again can have a forbidden quality, right? Um, I don't want to take up too much space. I don't want um, to talk more than people want to hear. I don't want to overwhelm everyone. Yeah. Um, And then it can be again, really vulnerable that, oh my gosh, there's something that's like so exciting me here that I so want to share. Like, are you cool with me sharing? Um, And that can be vulnerable again to say. And um, but I think it's about giving ourselves permission to know that if there's something that matters to us and we want to say it, someone somewhere is going to want to hear it. (laughs)
0: That's so true. It's also about cultivating the space that is right for you and your needs.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Uh, And that comes by by listening.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That comes by saying no to spaces and sometimes maybe even people and environments Mm -hmm. that are not allowing you to fully tap into your vulnerable, authentic, powerful, Mm -hmm. beautiful self.
1: And that's where boundaries come in, you know? Um, and I really, I think of boundaries as something that keeps us safe. And um, and, and, and the other gift that NBC has given me um, is this notion um, that there are many, many ways to meet our needs. That it doesn't have to be one person or one community, or one experience. And um, I think opening ourselves, right, to many, many spaces and people and um, communities to meet our needs can free us from the dependency on, you know, going to people who don't want to do that with us or for us. And then feeling really deprived and depleted.
0: <laughs> yeah. 100%. There are, we live in an immense universe. We live in an immense world where we can all meet each other's needs in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's about understanding who meets what need mm-hmm. And which needs can even I meet for other people. Right. I guess, right? Because it's not just about me receiving but it's Mm -hmm. also about how can i give with Mm -hmm. my own unique way of giving
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, love languages is something that comes to mind as well
1: yes (laughs) yes
0: it's a powerful powerful tool Um, but i really feel like you shared some really beautiful powerful stuff today and i feel calm i feel serenity i feel peace um how do you feel
1: Oh, similarly, I feel uh, really welcomed and connected and just joyous. It meets my needs for sharing, you know, the things that I love the most. So it's, um, no, it feels really good. <laughs> there's a word that, um, there's a need that I've learned through my MVC practice called shared reality. And I'm feeling shared reality with you. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's a good feeling to have.
0: <laughs> wow. I love that. So let me let me ask you this before we do wrap up. Mm-hmm. What do you need to share with the mm. audience today? What do you mm-hmm. need to share from your source, from your spark, from your inner being? Mm.
1: I love that question. I'm going to take a second to think about it. I think the thing I would want to share um, is I want each person who listens to this to think about something that they so want in their life that they don't have right now. It could be a yearning for love. It could be a yearning for being heard. It could be a yearning for expression. And I would love for everyone to just close their eyes for one minute and just think about if you can remember a moment in which you experienced having that or if you can't remember a moment imagine what it would be like to have that in just the way that works for you And to really allow that feeling to just spread through your body, to soak it in. And in that soaking in, to just give yourself the feeling of this is what it is like to feel that need, mess. <laughs> That's beautiful you have a big smile on your face <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like one of my my deepest needs were met last weekend and mm.
1: uh,
0: I met someone really special
1: oh how amazing
0: <laughs> I felt felt very taken care of um and that smile is for him and I just uh I hope everyone that listens today did that exercise because she just guided it with so much peace. (laughs) I feel like I just went into a meditative uh, state. To be honest, I feel like this entire conversation has been a meditative state for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your message. And I can't wait to hear more about you.
1: Thank you, Abhi. I'm so thrilled for you how exciting <laughs> and um, I want us all to have that feeling that our needs count that they're beautiful and that we can help them so but thank you Avi so much for inviting me and for holding the space with so much warmth and presence um, it's been such a delight
0: Thank you for tuning in to Not A Label. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please make sure to share it with your loved ones, your friends, your family, and anyone out there that might need to hear this. Thank you for being a part of this community. Make sure to share this on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and any other platform that can help us make a greater impact together. Take care. Have a blessed day ahead.